0: We would like to welcome you to our weekly broadcast of Harvest Worship Center's Sunday morning celebration service. We hope and pray that you will receive something from the Lord today, and we ask you to stay tuned at the end of the message for more information concerning our church. Again, thank you for joining us today.
1: Again, we've been uh, preaching this series called Driven over the last few weeks, and um, I've I've enjoyed uh, directing us through this, and we're going to kind of finish it up, wrap it up today. Um, Today, we're going to be talking about being a spirit-driven church, what it means to be driven of the spirit as the body of Christ. Um, I believe that uh, if God will help us, we're going to get to a destination through this message where we're challenged in our faith, amen? I didn't come here to be... You know, I, I, too many times we come for pep rallies. I didn't come for a pep rally. I came here so that I might be challenged by the word of God so that I can leave, amen, doing the work that God has called me to do. How about you? That's why we come to church is to, to grow and, to, and, and, and not just to hoard the blessings, but to give them away. Amen? To bless those around us. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 1. We're going to be reading a few verses here uh, this morning to set this up, uh, including our anchor verse for this series. And so we're going to just dive right in. Mark chapter 1, verse 1 says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. John appeared baptizing And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, I the sandals or the straps of, of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will, come, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he had came up out of the water, and here's our, our uh, leads into our, what we're going to talk about today. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens open, uh, torn up, being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with, with you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him, and that's our anchor verse for this series. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Over the last few months, uh, I've made some pretty bold statements concerning the the body of Christ and the condition of the church. Um, And when I'm talking about the condition of church, I'm not just talking about harvest. I'm talking about worldwide, uh, uh, just what I see in the body of Christ. I'm not talking about denominations. I'm talking about the church, those redeemed by the blood of Jesus. uh, I've made some pretty bold statements that I feel like we're in a backslidden state, and I still stand by those statements today. I feel like if we're going to see a move of God in the modern church, especially in this this hemisphere in in the united states and north america then we must first recognize and repent of the things that we've done wrong if we do not recognize and repent we will continue to go through the religious cycles that that, that the church has been going through uh, honestly i feel like for generations now we have had a form of godliness but denied the power of. We need power in the church. Amen? We need God to begin to do some things that only He can do and that's going to come through recognition and repentance and I stand by those statements today and I don't mean that harsh and I'm not centering any particular group out but I am saying to us as Harvest Worship Center today, we need to be a church that is driven of the Holy Spirit. In other words, you don't need to be pastor driven. We don't need to be board of directors driven. We don't need to be congregation driven. We need to be Spirit-driven, and there is a difference. There's a difference. In one of my earlier sermons in this series, I made mention uh, about churches were driven in in several different ways. They were they were either purpose-driven, mission-driven, program mission-driven, or personality-driven churches. In other words, there's a lot of churches that are driven just solely off the personality of the pastor or the leadership team. There's other churches that are solely driven off of their purpose in a community. And listen, and these aren't all horrible horrible things. Just but they're driven by them. In in other words, they're driven by their programs in a community because we provide great services. They identify us as the church that does such and such in the community, feeding the hungry, or are clothing the home, or, you know, taking care of the homeless, getting people you know back up on their feet. We're the church that people go to that that are suffering through addiction. They they become the identity of their purpose. Now, and, and that's not all a bad thing. So so don't go out here saying, pastor said that we shouldn't have any programs in the church. No, we we need programs, but we need them in the right perspective. And and in other words they're program driven or they're mission driven they, they they literally give towards missions that's their heart and their soul I know churches that that that's all they do and there's nothing wrong with that but our identity cannot be found in our programs our plans our personality or our, our, our purpose our identity must be found in Christ Jesus and we must be driven of the spirit to accomplish whatever he puts in our path in other words if we want we you know I don't want us to be known as the church that does the girls conference in this community though the girls conference is a powerful thing and I am, I am so, so thrilled that we are hosting that. I want you to understand something th- this morning that if that is our identity then we're failing miserably because all, if, look, if, if somebody's life isn't being changed in the girls conference then all we have hosted is a big party. All we've hosted is a social gathering. We've got to have more than social gatherings in church if we want to see a community turned upside down for Jesus. We've got to have more than just a get together. I, I, I'm all about that. I think we need those things I think fellowship is a missing element in a lot of churches. But I'm here to tell you, uh, the biggest missing element for revival in America is the power of the Holy Spirit operating freely in our churches and in our congregations and in our individuals. I'm here to tell you, God is ready to us to be a driven, a Spirit-driven people. Spirit-driven, and so other in other words, if Jesus was driven of the Spirit, we ought to also be driven of the Spirit. Most church leaders work real hard and they and are committed to Jesus. So this I'm not undermining that. Most churches uh, church members really want the congregation to be what it should be for the Lord. We all know where we want to. We all want to see great things happen. Who wants to see uh, Who wants to see some miracles in our day? Amen. You're ready to say. Who knows people that need a miracle today? I know some people right now that if God doesn't intervene, they're not going to live much longer. If God doesn't step in, then it's not it's going to take a miracle. They have exhausted all that they know to do to get the help they need to do. Now it's a God thing. And I'm here to tell you, I still believe in the God of miracles. I still believe in the God that can change situations. I still believe in the God that can interfere and intervene into the middle of the most ugliest family situation and bring peace into it. I still believe in a God that can do great things. I believe in a God of miracles. I do. However, I want you to listen to me. If we are going to see God move in his fullness and in his power, we must be a people that are fully yielded over to the Holy Spirit. I know my introduction is taking some time, but we're fixing to get somewhere. Uh, In other words, uh, we we must be a people that are fully turned over to the leading and guiding of the Holy Ghost. I have no interest in evaluating denominations anymore. I'm not looking at this denomination and that denomination and saying, well, this one's on the right path and that one's on the right path. Listen to me plain and simple. You can build a congregation off of great programs. You can build a congregation off of great plans and and meetings and conferences, but you can only see a world changed and transformed when a congregation is yielded over to the Holy Ghost and saying, God have your way in us. We're not just looking for the pastor to have the answers or the the leadership of the church to have the answers. God, we want to be your hands, your feet, your voice in a lost and world this county needs Jesus this county needs the Lord we must be spirit driven this is about the church being what it what it's supposed to be in other words taking on the challenge that Jesus gave us in the last chapter of Matthew when he said go to the whole world making disciples of all men baptizing them in the name of the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit he gave us an impossible task. He gave us an impossible task. I want you to think about that. Think about the, t- the disciples when they heard that. It's impossible. And, but aren't you thankful? Well, Jesus, when he was talking about the, the rich young ruler and he walked away, he said, uh, he, he said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And the disciples looked at him and said, said then it's impossible for anybody to be safe. It's, and, and look, and Jesus confirms that. He says, it's impossible for man to accomplish it. But with God. Aren't you thankful? for a B-U-T in the Bible, but with God. Somewhere in my life, there was a but. Phil was headed towards hell, but God intervened. Phil was headed towards destruction, but God stepped in. I wonder if anybody wants to praise him for that in their life today, that God stepped into your situation, changed your direction, amen. But I want you to understand, he said, it's impossible for man. It's impossible with you and with me to reach souls for the Lord. But with God, all things are possible. Aren't you thankful for that? That means there's not anybody out of his reach. I believe everyone can be. You say, how many people? I had somebody ask me once, they said, how many people in Chattooga County do you think that can be reached for Jesus? And I looked them in the eye, and I'll look you in the eye, and I'll tell you this morning, all of them. All of them. Because with God, with us it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. You're giving up on some things. And God's saying, you're right. You give up and you give in to me. And you you sit back and watch what I do with it. You watch what I can do with the situation when you yield over to me control of the, of what you're going through. So how does the church pursue being a spirit-driven church or a spirit-driven congregation? I believe it is in the following, and we're going to go through these points today. Uh, in other words, uh, does our church believe and teach the Bible the right way? This is not just to know Bible facts or to know Bible trivia. This is that we engage a, the Bible as a life-changing way that will alter the the direction we're in. Too many people look at this book the wrong way. It is alive. It is a living word. It is God inspired. It is God God-breathed. It is God's word to lost humanity. It is God's guidebook to my life. There is not a, a area of your life the Bible doesn't address. Amen. There's not an area of your life the Bible doesn't address. It is alive. It is the living word of God. Unfortunately, some of us we've been around where it's not been too alive. Amen? You ever have somebody stand up and read a verse of Scripture and you think they were like, you know, tales from the crypt? And Jesus said, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Man, I'm going to just tell you, some people are looking at us and they're saying, I may be going to hell, but I know how to smile. Come on. Where's the joy in the body of Christ? My goodness, folks. You want to know the worst thing the devil can do to me? I'm going to tell you the worst thing to me is kill me. He can have, I can die. No, he can't kill me. God God God. But if I die, say he, the Lord says, "All right, I'll let you. I'll let you get to him." Big deal. I go to be with Jesus. What can you do with somebody with that mentality? Do you realize this was the mentality of the early church and the disciples and the apostles? This is why they could affect the world the way they did. Paul said, you know what? Go ahead. You want to kill me? Go ahead. To to die is to gain. If I die right now, I'm in the presence of Jesus. I'm a winner. But if you don't kill me right now, every day that I get up, every breath that I breathe, I will praise the Lord. I will declare His goodness to a lost and dying world. Every day I'll trouble the kingdom of hell. Some of us don't realize that we have the ability to fight back. Amen. Do you realize that the devil bullies a lot of Christians? He really does. He bullies you. And Jesus says, all authority I have given to you. I've given you authority over that. I have given you authority over every devil in hell. He didn't say some. Devils in hell. He said, Every devil has to submit to you, not because of who you are. I've got news for you. You can say my name all you want. The devil doesn't fear me. But I'm here to tell you, he will always fear the one who saved me. In the name of Jesus. The captives are set free. In the name of Jesus, you and I. Oh my goodness. Have freedom in the Holy Spirit. Freedom in the name of Jesus. Amen. It's alive. Look at somebody and say, Hey, your Bible is alive. Amen. No, don't look for it to breathe. Okay, here we go. Matthew chapter 4. Jesus has been driven into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit, and we pick up on the story where the, the tempter, or Satan, has come to him. And the tempter came to him and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered to him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but at every word that comes out of the mouth of God. I prefer the King James translation in this particular verse where it says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but out of every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Proceedeth is just nice and fancy. Don't you like that? Amen. 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 Where's your wife? She proceedeth me. You know, <laughs> try it out. You'll like it. It's fancy. Anyway, said man's not going to live, but it's, there's, the reason I like that word is because it's a correct translation of the Greek, which simply says it is the current, fresh, now word of God. It is present tense continuous. It's, it's, it's good for right now, but it hadn't stopped then. I, I want you to understand, the Word of God, though there will be nothing else written, the Gospel story is still being told in the lives of those who Jesus has redeemed. So somewhere, there's a Gospel of Phil being written. Somewhere, there's a Gospel of Michael. Somewhere, there is a, there is a Gospel of Adam and Dicky being written and somewhere, I've got news for you. What does the word Gospel mean? It means the good news. How many of you got some good news to share this morning how many of you got something good that God has done in your life this world needs to hear about it so your story is yet to be written amen what kind of story is being penned about you Amen. The living word of God. The word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now I've shared this many times, but we got some new folks. You need to hear this. Some lessons are good. I like what Charles Finney said. He said, I'm going to every Sunday, he says I pick up a hammer and I beat the same nail. And when I die, hopefully God will raise somebody else up to pick up the same hammer and keep beating the same nail. Why? Because repetition is the best teacher. So I'm going to repeat myself on something that I shared a whole lot in this pulpit over the last twenty plus years. Which is simply this. If you are hung up in your life, anybody ever been in a dry place with God? Come on, I have. Anybody ever been in a dry spell where you like, man, I read the Bible, I get nothing out of it. I go to church and it's just songs and it's just a message. I, I want to, I know I need to get out, but I just don't get anything out of anything. I'm in a dry place. I'm going to tell you a 100% cure for a dry season in your life. If God has spoken to you a preceding word, in other words, we live by not by bread alone, but out of every word that is coming out of the mouth of God. So the last time God really spoke to you, maybe God spoke to you about going, and making something right with somebody you've wronged all right that's hard isn't it maybe god has told you you need to you need to you need to give an olive branch there you need to mend a bridge there and you were like okay god i know that's you i know i need to do that but because of life itself or just not really wanting to deal with the situation you ignore it anybody like me okay i've ignored those things well i find myself in a very dry place and I have found when I go back to the last time I really know God spoke to me, the last time I really heard Him in my prayer time, the last time I really heard Him speak to me through the Word, and I, and I ask myself, did I obey? Did I obey Him? I've found that nine times, a hundred times out of a hundred times, if I'm in a dry place, the last time He spoke to me, I never followed through. And when I go back to the last time he really spoke and I follow through on when the last time he really spoke, it opens up the windows of heaven and all of a sudden, see, God doesn't give a word to you. He doesn't give a preceding word for your entertainment. He doesn't give you a preceding word for you to get a, a quiver in your liver and get all goosebumpy. No, he gives you a preceding word for obedience. What does he say? I would rather have your obedience than your sacrifice. Amen. And I found when I go back to the last time he really spoke to me, that's when I set God free in my life again to speak to me again. You don't get any more preceding word till you act on the one he's given you. Amen, Pastor. Some of y'all need to take notes. Just kidding. Amen. It's true. None of us realize that God is not just throwing words out there. Saying, okay, Phil, you didn't like that preceding word. Let me give you another one you do like. <laughs> Sometimes God gives me things for obedience sake, not because it's going to feel good. Amen? But I found out whenever I follow through, oh, how good it feels to know that I've obeyed him. And the windows of heaven are unlocked. Does our congregation pursue prayer? Number two, do we pursue prayer? This is not just telling somebody that we're going to pray for them and forgetting about it. Come on. Do we really pursue prayer? Do we do we do we do we act on those prayers? Do we pray until we see something happen? Do we listen to God in those situations? In other words, Mark eleven verse seventeen says, "And he was teaching them, saying to them, It is not is it not written, My Father's house will be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers.' Now we all know the story that Jesus was you know I and again I think this is incredible because we all like the loving image of Jesus, but this is a particular day, Jesus was observing an atrocity in his house. He was watching people go into the temple and they were stealing money from people. They were shortchanging people. They were making a lot of profit off of temple worship. Sound familiar with the modern church? Come on. They were using his name for their gain. All right? It wasn't about lifting up Jesus or, or God, Jehovah, it was about that. So Jesus had had enough of it. So he sits there and he's doing something. Now, the Bible says he wove a whip. Now, I don't know if you've ever woven something, but that doesn't happen quickly. So that means he spent some time. <laughs> what you doing, Jesus? Hold on. What you doing, Lord? I will be with you in a moment. A little bit longer. And he goes through the temple kicking over the tables and chasing the money changers out and he says is it not written what that my father's house well what's that got to do with me I'm going to share some truth with you I hope you're open to it today we are the temple It's time for God to run some things out of our lives and kick over some tables in our lives that are robbing God from accomplishing his purpose in us. Too many tables set up in the rooms of our mind and they are occupying too much of our attention, too much of our thoughts so that we can't be driven of the spirit. I don't know about you, but it is time to let God turn the tables in me. It's time for him to flip over the tables and run some things out of town that need to be out of my mind. Amen. Amen. Matthew 6, we're still on prayer. Matthew 6, verses 5 through 8 says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners, that they may be seen of others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, or the Bible says into your closet in one translation. Shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap empty phrases as, as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do, uh, d- do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask of Him. I got to look into this thinking about prayer in the church. So listen, we're talking about being driven of the Spirit, church. And if we're going to be driven of the Spirit, we must be a people of the Word, but we all also need to be a people of prayer. And I, and, and I want to clear prayer up for some of us this morning. I think too many of us, we've got the wrong idea of prayer. We look at prayer as, as, as well, it's got to be fancy, okay? It's got to be eloquent. I remember growing up in some of the churches, my dad pastored, and, and, and we always had those guys that could pray the King James prayers. You know what I'm talking about? Lordeth, we loveth thee that kind of stuff. And you're like, man, that's so good. Most of my prayers were like, help! (laughs) Anybody prayed that one? (laughs) Desperate panic. But I thought... Man, if I could just pray like brother so-and-so, or if I could just have the words like so-and-so, and then I've discovered this verse of Scripture, this passage of Scripture, and he says, when you pray, don't be like the, and again, I'm not calling those people hypocrites. I'm just saying they had fancy prayers. He said, don't be like the hypocrites who love to be heard for their many words. He said, they've got all the reward. Why? Because their reward was for people to look at them and praise them for their prayers. He said, instead, go into your closet, go into your room, close the door, and pray in secret. And the God who sees in secret will reward you openly. And boy, the Lord gave me a, verse on, or, or a word on this, and I want you to hear me now. Because I believe God spoke this to me over this particular passage. And I wrote it down so I wouldn't forget it. Too many people are sinning in their secret and praying openly. In other words, we got our secret sins in our closet and we go into that or, or and we, 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 we sin in that area and then we're open with our prayer life. We, we want people to see and think that we're one way when we're really another and all God is really wanting out of us is transparency and honesty with Him because He knows it anyway. We're not hiding anything from God. God sees where you're at before you even open your mouth and He says if you just come to me as a child to their father and say here i am lord i'm needing you i've messed up (laughs) i've messed up but you love me anyway (laughs) and you love me enough not to leave me this way amen does he love me the way i am yes he does but he loves you too much to leave you that way amen we are all a work in progress and if we are going to be a spirit-driven church, we must begin to say no instead of going and sinning in secret and praying in the open to try to cover what's going on. Oh God, let us go into the prayer closet and get real with you and say, God, this is where I really am. This is what I'm really struggling with. And the God who sees in secret, we're reward in open. Amen. Who's ready for God to move? amen amen you can praise him for that you're ready for god to move number three does our congregation share their faith stories in other words do we share our testimony i used to despise testimonies i still do oh really yes maybe you didn't attend some of the testimony services i attended 20 minutes glorifying the devil five minutes or five seconds giving god credit some of them didn't even give God credit. Start out to testify. I love the Lord and I thank you for all he's done for me. That old devil's been on me all week long. You just don't know my kids are straight from the pit. I've heard, the look, I grew up in church all my life. I've heard everything you can imagine said that shouldn't have been said. And you get through and he says, y'all pray for me and I'll ever serve him. And sit down and you're like, who got the credit there? Who got the glory out of that? Nobody got the glory out of that but the devil. Come on. Or what about prayer requests? You ever been in prayer requests, sirs? 20 minutes of prayer requests, 2 seconds of prayer. Come on, folks, if we're really going to pray, if we're really going to be a purpose-driven or a spirit-driven church, then we have to become a church that is in tune with the Holy Spirit that when somebody says, well, you pray for me, I want this for you, hang out with me. You better get ready. I don't care where I am. My phone goes off and somebody asks me to pray. I prayed in the dollar store. I prayed in Walmart. You say, oh, what a holy man. No, it ain't a holy man. I'm just a forgetful man. And if I don't do it, then life takes over, and then I lay down at night going, "I think I forgot something. What did I forget, Lord? Oh yeah, so and so said to pray for them. I didn't even pray for them, Lord. Oh, don't even. You know you've been there. You know you've been there. What are you saying? I've learned that if I don't pray for that need right at that moment, right at that time, I will forget about it. Life will take over, and, I, I, and, and it's an afterthought, folks. If you, we, be, we need to, I pray right then. You, we need to pray for folks when they ask us to pray. They are entrusting us with something valuable. Yeah. They are entrusting us, and they're, say, they're taking. You know what? They are saying, "I have confidence in you that you can get a hold of God for me." I want you to understand something. We're not out to build a social club in Chattooga County. I don't want a social club. I want brothers and sisters. I want a forever family. I want people that when I'm going through the valley of the shadow of death, I can say, hey, will you pray for me? And you'll join arms with me. And you'll get a hold of God. How about you? Isn't that what you want to be a part of? That's what I want to be a part of. A church that loves the Lord and it's not afraid. Does our congregation witness of our faith? Or do we share our faith stories? Let me finish that. I want to get this verse in. First Peter three, fifteen through sixteen, but if you're but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for your hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. A lot of people forget that. Do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. What is he saying? Don't defend yourself. Just live the life, and God will take care of it. Amen? How many times we want to read our resume when things are going bad in our life because we're afraid somebody's going to judge us? Well, you all know, I'm a good member. I just want to. I don't care what you are. You need Lord in your life. That is, guess what? So do I. So does everybody in this room. And when we begin to open ourselves and be real, then God can do that. In other words, He says, "Be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you the reason of your hope." In other words, not a defense. That word can be used the wrong way. In other words, I got to defend myself. No, He's saying, "Have a good story. Have a good testimony." Now, I'm going to tell you what one of the practices that I put in in some of my classes that I do with the, in leadership and different things is I have people write their testimony, and I want them to write it out. And listen, if you will ever sit down and do this, it'll be so good for you. You will write your testimony out, and you write out every detail of your testimony, the good, the bad, the ugly, the uglier, all the things that God has brought you through and is bringing you through. Write it out. And then write out what God has done in those situations. And write. And sometimes, look, I've had people take up a page of notebook paper and I've had people take up a notebook full of uh, writing their testimony. And then what I tell them is you take that story, you condense it down to five minutes. How can I do that? Because guess what? The devil truly is in the details. We don't want to give the devil all that credit. So I don't have to say I was out doing this. All I got to say is I was involved in that, but God has brought me here. Now let's talk about what God did. And when we do that, we're ready to prepare. Because somebody says, why five minutes? Say you're on a 10-minute break and you've been on a 10-minute break and you use that time to read your Bible at work and have your little devotion. And then somebody approaches you. Finally, and it's been five minutes of the break, time's gone. And they said, why do you do that? I would like to hear your story. They ain't got time for 20 hours of story. They need to hear your testimony. Be prepared. Be ready to share the hope of Jesus with anybody that asks about it anytime and any moment. And when we really begin to pray like we should, study the Word like we should, be Spirit-driven like we should, the Spirit will position you with people all over this community to share the hope of Jesus with to what God has done in your life. He will position you. Amen. Now, Does our congregation... Witness faith. In other words, this is not just sending our money to do good things. This is not just, uh, in, uh, you know, intentionally and publicly uh, allowing Jesus to be seen. This is us being active witnesses. Okay, what we're leading into through 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 being a people of faith stories, sharing that faith story. Acts one and eight says, "But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world." I want you to imagine a dartboard or a bullseye. The bulls is Jerusalem that is your family He says, after you receive this power, the very first ones you need to be a witness to is your family. You need to be a witness to your husband, your wife, your wife or your husband, your children, those in your family. Lead your household to Jesus. Amen. I love the story that Tony Evans shares about how crazy his family was. His mom, his dad literally fights, knife fights. He said, It was a crazy house. He said, one day my dad went to work, and the man that went to work came home a different man because while he was at work, Somebody had Jesus driving them, there's a spirit driving them to share their testimony with his dad. His dad receives Christ on the job. He comes home a different man. His wife begins to fight him even more. He would sneak downstairs at 2 a.m. just to have some quiet, to read his Bible and pray for his family. This went on for a year. He gets downstairs one day, he opens his Bible, he's reading at 2 a.m., he hears a creak on the stairs and he looks up at God and tears begin to flow down his face and he says, I can't take it no more, God. He said, not another argument, I can't take another fight, I can't take another fuss, I can't do it. He turns around and his wife is standing at the foot of the stairs with tears streaming down her face. She said, for a year, I thought you were nothing but a fake. For a year, the more I hated you, the more you loved me. The more I pushed you away, the more you embraced me. The more I tried to get you to deny what happened in your life, the more you got into it and clung to it. She said, I don't know what happened to you, but I want it in me. He leads his wife to the Lord. The next day, they sit the children down at the table, share the gospel. Their family is led to the Lord. Their house that was on a crazy street becomes a lighthouse in that community of the love and the message of Jesus Christ. What are you saying? Don't despise the day of small beginnings. God's ready to use you to be a catalyst for revival in this community. He's ready to use you. But you've got to be willing to be used. Amen. Driven of the Spirit. you got to start with your family. Then you go into Judea, which is what? The surrounding area, your, your friends, extended family. Then into Samaria, my acquaintances. Amen? And then the other most parts of the world, people I don't even know. Amen? It's got to start somewhere. Does our congregation encourage people, last of all, to be people of faith? This is not just saying... That we'll pray for somebody and forget. This is not just saying I read the Bible to read the Bible. I'm going to tell you when you read the Bible is when the Bible begins to read you. Oh, what are you talking about? That's confusing. No, you'll know you've read the Bible when you begin to read the Bible and think, Oh my goodness, that's me. Oh my goodness, that's me. When the Bible begins to read you, that's when you know you've gotten into the Word. So not just praying, not just reading the Bible, not just sharing a testimony. This is allowing ourselves to move more than just engage people on a surface level. But become the kind of church that we can be transparent and open with one another to engage people and carry and lift their burdens with them. Too many people are carrying stuff all by themselves because they're scared to death they'll be judged for what they're carrying. Amen? In other words, they're carrying struggles, sinful struggles in their life that they're never going to find victory over on their own till they get some help to carry it. Amen? That's called accountability. And you realize there's some things that we never get free of till we get accountability in our life. Amen? Amen. We've got to have somebody we can be open to. But God forgive the body of Christ for being what it has been in the past a judgmental, self centered, focused body that when people were transparent, we were in our hearts have animosity towards them. Come on, church. I have had people make the statement when we would see people who would come to the altar almost every time the altar was open. Then Those people ain't with us no more, by the way. They had to find something more to their liking because they didn't like the type of people that Harvest was trying to reach. That's fine. That's their cup of tea. So be it. But I had one particular person look at me and say, You know they need Jesus because they're in the altar every single time you give an invitation. And I looked at her and said, I know you need Jesus because I ain't seen you in the altar in nine years of being your pastor. You say, you said that? Yes, I did. I was meaner when I was younger. <laughs> I tried to sweeten up a little. No, I did say it. Because it broke my heart that we would look at people. I got news for you. If you got to ride this thing all the way into heaven, ride it. Ride it. If you got to be here every time there's an altar call to get to heaven, then get down here. Oh wow. What are you going to say? Well, I got here riding the altar. I know that's not like some people. Who cares? You get to heaven. Amen. But I got news for you, I don't think we got that kind of church anymore, do you? I think we got a church that if you come to this altar, we're going to gather around you, we're going to love you, and we're going to pray for you, and we're going to realize that all of us need Jesus. Every single one, including the one preaching to you, we need Jesus. There is no such thing as a perfect Christian. All of us are striving to be more like Him. And there are days that I feel real good and successful at that, and there are days I fail miserably. Anybody else? But it's learning to encourage one another and carry one another. Galatians 6, 1-4 says, Brothers, if anyone is called in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, keeping watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. God help us. But let each one test his own works. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Paul's addressing the Galatian church over this very thing. He's saying if somebody's messed up, we like the words, we like the cushion words in the church. He says if anyone's caught in a transgression, I like the word transgression more than I do sin. Don't you? But it means the same thing. Now, you know, I'll tell you this. Here's, here's a denominational difference. The Baptists call sin sin. Pentecostals call it mistakes. You can laugh, that's the truth. Oh, they just made a mistake. No, they sinned. <laughs> they just fell short. No, they sinned. <laughs> you can fall short. I, 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 you know, it's sin if I do it. You know what? Listen to me, folks. Get the terminology out of your head. Transgression, fault, sin, mistake. For, all, for, for, him to knows to, for him that knows to do good and does it not, what does the Bible declare? It is sin. If you know it's not pleasing God, it's sin. It's wrong. What are you saying then, pastor? Let's get real and honest. If a brother's overtaken in a transgression, he says, you who are spiritual. Oh, my goodness. You should restore him. Don't you know some people would love to put a period right there and run with it? Those of you who are spiritual, period. Restoring, period. Yes, bless God, we're going to get you right. We're going to have a Holy Ghost intervention and set you straight. Aren't you so glad Paul didn't stop there? He said, if the brother's overtaken in transgression, he says, you who are spiritual, restore him in a spirit of gentleness, keeping watch on yourself lest you too are tempted or be tempted. What is he saying? He's saying it's by the grace of God it's not the other way around. It's by the grace of God that it hasn't. the tables haven't been flipped on you. And you're the one in need of restoration. So if you're in a good place with God and you've got a brother or a sister that's not, don't get all high and mighty. First, do some good, some checking before you go talking and trying to restore. But he didn't say just ignore it. He said restore them. Why? He says that when we do this, he says we bear one another's note burdens, we so fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? I believe with all my heart the reference was back to when Jesus was asked what was the greatest commandment. Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was. And he said, well, the first is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Everything you got, love God. Amen? But he said the second one is like it. In the Greek, it means so close to it, it's almost the same thing. And I'm going to explain what that means. The second, he said, is likened to it. Love your neighbor, love your brother, your sister as yourself. He said, on these two hangs everything else. Without these two, and what is he saying? Without those two, everything in his falls apart. Love God, love people. Let's break it down to two words. Love God and love people. That's what he said. If you love God and love people, he said everything else hinges on that. Now, I'm going to share some truth with you as we get ready to wrap this up. You can't truly love God and, and hate people. And you can't truly love some people without loving God. Come on. I got reunions too in my family. Anybody got that family? That crazy family member? Some of y'all thinking names. Don't share them right now. Just give them to Jesus. What are you say? We all got, look. If we're going to love God, then we got to love people. And if we're going to love people, we got, we're showing we love God. It's all interconnected is what Jesus is saying. So when I love someone the way I ought to love them, then I'm loving God. And when I love God, guess what? The way I ought to, I got no trouble loving people. And when we love God and we love people, then that means our ourselves align with the Holy Spirit and we become a people who are driven by the Holy Spirit to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. In other words, there's nobody here that gets a gold star and has arrived yet. We're not handing out crowns of life as you leave today. We're all still striving. I'll tell you what is at the door. It's called the cross. For we pick it up and we carry it to the end of this life. But one day I'll lay down the cross and I will pick up my crown, but I won't wear it for long because the Bible says when we receive those crowns of life, we'll take them off and we'll cast them at the feet of the King of kings and the Lord of lords and we'll praise Him forevermore for bringing us through this. So if we're going to see revival, church, we must become spirit-driven. If we do not, the cost is eternity for some. Our church, I told you, we're moving forward. Over the next few weeks, next few months, we're going to begin some new ministries in this church, things we've never had before, that God has laid on the hearts of people. God is going to begin to do some work in this church, I believe it with all my heart. Over the next months and over the next few weeks, We're going to begin to step back into where we had to put down because of COVID last year. We're going to start pursuing our outreach ministries. We're going to start pursuing getting our new building built. But I want you to hear me and hear me good. Without the Holy Spirit in our lives, it is in vain. I don't want to do anything without the leading of the Spirit. I don't want to make one move in my family without the leading of the Spirit. And I don't want to make one move in our forever family without the leading of the Spirit. We need revival in this nation. But it begins in us. That's where it has to start. Will you stand? when we are called into different areas of ministry God does not call us because we're qualified He qualifies us because we're called Amen I was, I'm not the <laughs> I'm the last one I ever thought would ever occupy a pulpit in my family. And it wasn't because I was this big, horrible person. It's just because I had grown up in a pastor's home and said I didn't want none of that. Because I watched us be people-driven and not spirit-driven. People-motivated. And that wasn't no fault of my dad's. He wanted to be spirit-driven. But I watched as p- politics and egos, control. My Lord, have mercy. And who suffered? The lost people of the communities. Who suffers with internal struggles? The lost people in the community. Well, y'all must have a lot of internal trouble. No. I'm just saying we don't want to ever get to that place. That we're so inward focused, we lose sight of the harvest. I think of the story very often in my prayer time. And I mean, it's almost all the time in my prayer time. God reminds me of the story of the woman at the well. And she was an outcast by her own people who were an outcast by the Jewish people. So she was an outcast to outcast. And Jesus goes and he's sitting near the well and she went in the heat of the day to draw water that way she didn't have to talk to nobody because she was despised and as she was drawing water from the well jesus asked her for something to drink and we all know the story or i hope we know the story she goes on he reveals to her things about her life she It's revealed to her he's the Messiah, and she runs back to the village to tell them, come see the one who told me all about myself. Come see the one who told me everything about who I am. Come, declares him as Messiah. While she's doing that, the disciples return from buying meat, and they say, take something to eat, and he looks and he says, I have meat that you don't know about. He says, you say it's four months to the harvest. Now, while he's saying that, the the village is coming. (laughs) He says, but I say, lift up your eyes for the fields are ripe, ready for harvest. And they're looking at the people who were the outcast of the outcast. And I want to declare to you, I am thankful for everyone that is that is part of this church. Everybody that comes to this church, I love you, I thank God for you, I believe God is positioning you here for a reason. But over the last few weeks, God has brought me back to my original prayer of 20 years ago. God, let us be a church that welcomes the unwanted, that welcomes the outcast that welcomes those that no one else will welcome through their doors. God, let us be a church that welcomes the harvest. Father, anoint us. Anoint us to be who you want us to be. And anoint us to show the love that only you can show through us when we are yielded to you. That's been my prayer for 20 years. but it takes laborers it takes people willing to work in the fields it's going to take a church that's not pastor driven congregation driven but spirit driven I don't know what that means today I invite you to discover it how do I discover it? by asking the Lord Father, I don't want anything to motivate me but you. I don't want anything to drive my life but you. Father, I'm going to throw you the keys. And I'm going to move into the passenger seat. And I'm going to say, where you go, I will follow. Where you drive, I'm I'm going. Because God, I want to hear from you. I want to be used of you. Father, my life is not my own to control anymore. It's yielded to you. It's given to you to you. Paul would later write in the book of Romans, I beseech you, I beg you, brothers by the mercy of God that you would present yourselves, your bodies a living sacrifice holy, acceptable to God which is your reasonable service and be not conformed to this world but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. It's time for a mind change. It's time for a heart change and it's time for a new spirit to take over and that's the Holy Spirit. It's time to be spirit-driven. I don't know who you are this morning, but I'm going to find a place to pray this morning. And I'm going to talk to Jesus this morning. I invite you to come to the altar this morning. I invite you to join with me as we pray for the Holy Spirit direction. As we pray, God, drive us the rest of this year. Lord, let us be who you want us to be, to reach the souls that only you can reach. Folks. I'm telling you, God's ready to bring revival to our school systems. God's ready to bring revival to our workplaces. But more than anything, He's ready to start it in our households. Oh, my goodness. He's ready for our men to step up and become who they're supposed to be.
0: We would like to thank you for joining us for our weekly podcast. We pray that you receive something from the Lord today. Please share your prayer requests and testimonies with us by emailing us at tryonhwc@gmail.com. If you would like more information concerning Harvest Worship Center, you can visit our website at tryonhwc.com. We would love for you to visit us in person sometime. Our services are held at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Children's worship is during our 11 a.m. service. If you would like to give to the Ministries of Harvest Worship Center, you can also do this by clicking the Giving tab online. Once again, we would like to thank you for joining us today, and we pray you have a blessed week.